run through. It is, it, it, it is, it is news, simply news. And y'all, this is a hard thing for a lot of us to grasp. Uh, the good news is news. It is a declaration of information. The gospel of Jesus Christ, we have said, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is summed up in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It is the good news that God is redeeming people from sin and restoring them to himself and to who they were meant to be, who we were meant to be, created to be, in and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It is the good news of what God has done for us. It, it isn't good, the good news isn't get yourself together, which is what somehow we have come to believe, right? Like get yourself together, try harder so you can be accepted by God, do enough good stuff and God will love you. That is not the good news at all. The, the, the good news is that everything that you need in order to be loved and accepted by God is yours as a free gift of God's grace through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It is a gift. It's a gift through faith. Faith. Uh, Dan talked about faith with us, and, 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 and faith and, and belief, those two words are used a lot in the New Testament, but, but when it comes to the gospel, those two words, faith and belief, are very different than knowledge. It is possible for us, and I was there for a long time, and I've met a lot of people, in the, especially here in the Deep South, who are in the same place, who know a lot about the gospel, but they don't really believe it. It's possible for us to know a, a lot about the gospel and to, to even be able to tell someone what the gospel is, but to not truly believe the gospel. Faith is a deeply held confidence in the truth and the power of the gospel. A lot of us have, have come to know the gospel story um, in part, but not to know all of the implications of the gospel, how it applies to our life, and to truly believe the gospel, to, to have faith in that truth and power related to the gospel. And it's that faith, it's that faith, this is sort of the key thing, it is that faith that changes everything for us. It's not knowing the gospel. It's deeply believing and trusting in the gospel. So last week we talked about how faith in the perfect life of Jesus shapes our lives, believing that, that he lived the perfect life for me, releases me from, from a religion of performance. And that's what a lot of us have grown up following is a religion of performance, what we have to do. See, the truth of the gospel is I don't have to perform. I don't have to have it all together. I, I, I don't have to always be perfect because Jesus did that for me. Right, those words, it is finished, that, that's, that's what it means. It is finished. Jesus has done it for me. Believing that frees me. It frees me from feeling the pressures and burdens of all of the duties of religion, believing as well that Jesus came as the second Adam to, to live the life that all of humanity was meant to live. We talked about this last week, loving God and loving others perfectly, that also shapes how I live my life. 
It helps me to be who I was created to be. It points me to the life that I was meant to live. It points me to the place that, that, that I can find uh, peace and joy and satisfaction. And, and, and ultimately, it is, it is faith in the life of Jesus that shapes my life. So it's, it's faith that changes us. So this week, we want to talk about Jesus' death and our lives. What his death means for us and, and why his death is such good news for us and how faith in that good news really changes our lives. So pray with me this morning um, and, and here's how I want us to pray together. I'm, I'm asking if you would pray with me. Don't just listen, but, but join me and pray with me. Pray your own prayer, but, but pray with me along the lines of this, that God would, um, by his spirit, really penetrate our hearts, that we would have a renewal of our minds when it comes to the gospel. We, we have heard some of these things so much that they, they don't mean a lot to us anymore, and I don't want that to be the case today. I want this to mean everything that God wants it to mean for us. So pray with me that God would be good to renew our minds with, with this gospel, that he would uh, restore to us the joy of our salvation in this gospel. Would you do that? Good. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can come and pray together. We thank you that we can even pray. It is a, a gracious gift that you would allow us in our imperfections um, to come to you and, and you would hear our prayers. And you would, you would not just hear our prayers and scoff, you invite us to come to you with our prayers, with our needs. You, you, you hear them and you answer. So we pray that you would answer our prayers this morning, that your spirit would be great in our midst, that you would teach us, that you would, would equip us, that you would encourage us where conviction is needed. Holy Spirit, bring conviction. Help us. Help us to be the people that you want us to be. And Father, as, as we are going to be hearing some things that we've heard before, I, I, I pray that you would keep our minds focused sharply on what it is we are hearing. That you would, you would plant the truths of the gospel deep in our hearts. That you would, would grow our affections for Jesus. And, and more, you would grow our faith in the good news of his life, death, and resurrection. And through our faith that you would change us more and more to be like him. We love you. Help us. We need you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I want to start this morning. We're going to look at a couple of different passages. If you have your Bible and you want to join me there, we're going to be in Romans chapter 3, and then we're going to flip over to Romans chapter 5. A couple of different passages, and we'll start this morning with Romans 3, 21 through 26. Um, and we should have it on the screen as well. Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. A lot here. 
um, I want us to focus on propitiation. God put Jesus forward as a propitiation for us by his blood. So, so our penalty paid, that's what we're talking about. Our penalty paid propitiation. Um, Paul has been arguing up to this point, Paul has been arguing, he continues this argument, but arguing that the law, all of the list of do's and don'ts, the law that we even as Christians often fall on, that, that the law, all of those do's and don'ts, was not and is not a means of righteousness. And I'm going to say that again because if we could just believe that, it would change our lives. The law was not, is not, was never intended by God to be a means of righteousness for us. That is in itself good news. The law, Paul would argue, simply shows us our unrighteousness and our great need for help. The righteousness that is required for us, the righteousness that is required to be in right standing with God, Paul says, is a gift of grace from God through our faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, Paul says, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now, Paul almost certainly has in mind here the sacrifice of propitiation that was made every year for Israel on the Day of Atonement. So I, wanna, I want us to get there so that we can see what Paul is talking about. God had said to Adam and Eve in the garden, we, we, we go all the way back to the garden, to the book of Genesis, God had said to Adam and Eve at the very beginning, he, he put them in the garden, gave them everything they needed. He said, look, it's all yours. Everything in the garden is yours. All of the fruit of these trees is yours. Enjoy all of it, all of it except for the fruit of this one tree. Don't take the fruit of this tree. And the day that you do, you will surely what? Die. Right, the wages of sin, meaning, meaning the just reward for our sin, the wages of sin is what? Death. The Bible makes that very, very clear. The just payment for our sin is death. And what the Bible means by death is eternal separation and condemnation from God. But hear me this morning, it means more than that, and I, I, want, you to, I want you to take hold of it because it, it, it is true, more than just this separation and condemnation from God, sin angers God. Now, the world we live in, our culture and context here in the United States anyway, Western culture, would love for you to believe that God is not angry. That was the God of the Old Testament. He's not angry anymore. God never changes. God is still angry with sin. God is angry with sin. Ezekiel chapter 22 verse 31 says, Therefore I have poured out my indignation, my wrath, upon them. 
I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have returned their way upon their heads. Like they are getting their just reward for their sins is what he is saying, declares the Lord. The just penalty for sin in the Old Testament and in the New Testament as well, the just penalty for our sin is the wrath of God being poured out on sin. If you're with me, say amen. Okay. Now hear me, that's terrible news. (laughs) It really is. It's terrible news. Um, It's terrible news because what Paul said in Romans 3 that we just read is all have sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And what that means is all is everybody. Everybody has sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. God is rightly angry because of sin, and, and, and wrath is a part of that just penalty that all of us, everyone who has sinned, should reap. But God's desire is not wrath. God's desire is not wrath, it is peace. And so, and so God made a way for peace. In the old covenant between God and Israel, God set aside one day a year called the Day of Atonement. Um, Atonement would be made for the sins of God's people. Now, I would encourage you to read Leviticus chapter 16. I know some of those Old Testament books are hard to read. Leviticus is kind of one of them. Um, And I'm I'm just being honest with you. It is. There's a lot of things in there. You're like, "I I don't understand it. Leviticus 16, beautiful chapter. In Leviticus 16, God is talking about the Day of Atonement and instituting this Day of Atonement where the sins of God's people would be paid for. Two goats would be chosen on that day from God's people. The goats would have to be the very best of of all, the best of the best, beautiful yearlings without spot or blemish. The goats would be brought to the priest. Aaron, the priest, would cast lots over the goats. One would become the scapegoat, and the sins of Israel would be put on that goat, and that goat would be sent away from Israel, and the picture was that goat was taking away the sins of Israel. But there was still a penalty due, even though those sins were now removed, a penalty that had to be paid for sin. God's wrath was still against sin, and there still had to be the payment of death. So this other goat would be the goat of propitiation, and they called it as well um, the goat for the Lord. So outside of the Holy of Holies, it would be bound. This second goat, the goat of propitiation, um, the goat for the Lord would be bound so that it could not run. Now, I would imagine the goat would be horrified being brought into this strange place, um, being bound as it was um, there with the priest, its heart uh, pounding, bleeding, and the priest would take a really sharp knife to this bound goat and slit its throat very deeply and in a large basin catch all of the goat's blood as it bled out and died. Right? That is a gruesome scene. It was meant to be a gruesome scene. The blood of the goat was then spread over the mercy seat, in front of the mercy seat, and all over the holy of holies and the tent of meeting. It it was making atonement through the blood. It was making atonement, making things right and holy. Verse 16 says, um, because of the uncleanness of God's people, because of their sins and transgressions. 
So, so why was the goat of propitiation called the goat of the Lord? It not only paid the penalty for their sin, the wages, the wages of sin is, is death, right? And, and the goat died. It not only paid the wages of sin in its death, but more than that, it was for the Lord because the goat was chosen to bear the wrath of God against sin. That's why this was such a bloody and gruesome picture. This goat was bearing the wrath of God that was meant toward sinful men. And, and, and Israel was sinful. God's people were sinful. They failed to worship. They failed to follow God. Listen, they, they followed idols. Even though they had seen the might and the power and the goodness of God, they, they followed idols, some idols made of wood, others of bronze and gold. Still others that gods of their own, gods of power, gods of comfort, gods of their own human wisdom. They, like us, were prideful, forgetful, short-sighted. They were prone to wonder. They, like us, were sinners. They, like us, were deserving of the full outpouring of God's holy and righteous wrath. So every year, every year by fate, the goats were chosen. Every year by fate, the lot, the, the lot was cast. Every year by fate, the one for the Lord was sacrificed. Its blood would soak the robes of the priest and drench the holy of holies. And by his grace, there was propitiation, the turning away of God's wrath, sort of. Sort of, and I say sort of because ultimately no single goat, really not all of the goats in Israel, not all of the goats in the world could serve as propitiation for sin. They weren't really pure, they weren't really perfect, they weren't holy, they, they obviously weren't human. Ultimately, that is not what was needed. It wasn't the blood of goats that made people righteous and holy. They couldn't. Those were pictures. The goats were a picture. This goat was a picture, a representative, a type. They were meant to point to a greater offering, meant to help us see the greatest offering of all. I love this picture. It is so good. What Paul is saying, coming back to our Romans 3, 25 passage, when he says that God passed over their former sins, what, what Paul is saying is that the blood of the goats and the bulls never really took away their sins, but there was another sacrifice that was coming. What he's saying is that the Lord's goat on the Day of Atonement could never truly avert the wrath of God that was due to sin. God was using the law and the feasts and the festivals, even the Day of Atonement, to point his people, to point us to the greater sacrifice, to the place of true righteousness and forgiveness, to our one hope, not goats and bulls and lambs, but Jesus Jesus, our, our true and only lasting propitiation. The cross is the place where God poured out his anger once and for all. Once and for all, the cross is the place where God poured out his anger. Jesus bore his righteous wrath 
All of the wrath and anger that was due for sin was emptied out on him for all who believe, for all who have faith. This is the good news of his death. This is the good news of the death of Jesus. Our penalty has been paid. Jesus suffered not only the the death that we deserve, but the very wrath of God that is due to our sin. Listen, the beating, the, 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 the crown of thorns, the nails in his hands and his feet, the, the, the brutality of the cross, the brutality of the Roman soldiers, even God turning his back on Jesus, all, all a glimpse of God's righteous anger towards sin, God's righteous anger with sin, with our sin, all taken from us by Jesus. This is amazing grace. This is the beauty of of the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus' death. Now listen to me. Why does this matter? What, What does this mean for us? How does this news change our life? I want you to hear me on this. Because we are prone to live by the law. When it it comes to your life, when, when you slip up, when you fail, I need you to understand that God is not angry with you. Do you hear me? This is this is the beautiful news of the gospel. The wrath that is due for your sin has already been taken by Christ. The anger of God toward your sin has already been endured by Jesus. God is not angry with you. That sin that you struggle with, and please hear me this morning, that that, that sin that that you struggle with and you try to hide, the one that shames you and makes you feel like God must now be done with you, uh, the, the, the sin that, that makes you feel like surely this time God is filled with anger because I've done it again. Listen to me, he's not. You know why he's not? Because Jesus took all of his anger for you. He has no anger left for your sin. It is finished. Oh my goodness. God is not angry. God is not angry. God is not looking to punish you. It's already happened. Now, I want you to hear me on this as well. I'm not saying that our sins don't have consequences. I am not saying that our sins don't have consequences. We should understand that our sins do have consequences, but an angry God is not one of them. If you're a believer, ever. You don't have to worry that he's reached his limit. Y'all, listen, this is how the gospel in my life, when I have messed up, I don't have to worry that my dad's mad at me. He's not. I I don't have to wonder what terrible thing is going to come my way because, because dad is angry with me. He's not angry. And the terrible thing that comes my way is not his punishment for my sin. That has already happened. Let me tell you what else it means. It means you don't have to pretend. 
You don't have to pretend. Please don't pretend here at New City. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to run. You don't have to hide. You don't have to hide from us. You don't have to hide from the people around you. You don't have to hide from your father. It means, it means when you slipped up, you don't have to work hard to make up for your failing. What sweet relief. I don't have to do a thousand great things because of this one terrible thing that I've done again. I, I don't have to make up for it. What, what is owed has been paid in full for me. It is paid in full. And so whatever that sin is in your life that you struggle with or maybe that slipped up on you, whatever that sin is, turn from it and turn toward him. That, that's what repenting is. Repent of your sin and believe this good news of the gospel. It, it, it is taken care of and rest in the truth of the gospel that your father is not angry. I, I, tell, I tell my, my kids, mostly my sons, because they mess up the most. I tell my sons when they mess up. What's done is done. And we can't change that. Now the good news of the gospel is what's done is done. We can't change it, nor do we have to because the price has already been paid. The question is, what are we going to do now? The question is, what, what are our next steps? Y'all, this is the beautiful news of the gospel. It is done. And yesterday, yesterday is finished. 30 seconds ago is done. Repent of your sin and turn toward him and walk in the newness of life that is yours. That is God's grace. There's more, though. But wait, there's more. Not only is our penalty paid, but the power of sin is broken. We don't, we, we don't live in this one. We are free from the bondage of sin in Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul is amazing. 
So, so, so many would say, and many would say of the gospel that we preach at New City. Many would say to Paul uh, of the gospel that he preached, if God is not angry with our sin and he sees us as the righteousness of Christ because we have been granted the righteousness of Christ through faith, then your gospel is a gospel of cheap grace. There are a lot of people who would say that about us. A lot of people who would say that about this sermon this morning. I've heard it. Now, first of all, I would say that, that no grace that involved the, the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is cheap. And the first thing they're doing is demeaning Jesus Christ and the power of his life, death, and resurrection. But Paul answers the question for us. The question is raised then, if, if this is true, it is fine for, for me to continue sinning and not think twice about it. And Paul says, no, may that never be. May it never be. Well, Paul, if, if, if it doesn't matter because God sees us as righteous and the righteousness of Christ or, or the wrath of God has been poured out on Christ, if that is true, then I can keep living in my sin. No, may it never be. May it never be. Paul says, how can you continue in sin if you have died to sin? Y'all, I'm going to preach this morning. Give me a minute. Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were united with Jesus in his death. We were united with Jesus through our faith, and in him we died with him, and we were raised with him so that we can walk in a newness of life. Paul is saying that in our union with Christ and in his death, our old self died died. Now, what Paul was just arguing in the preceding chapter was that we were all born with the sin nature passed on to us from Adam. Adam's curse became our curse. We were, we were born in the likeness of Adam. And sin, Paul says, reigned in every generation after Adam because of Adam. But when that person dies, sin reigns no more. Sin no longer has reign in our bodies because we're dead. Sin cannot live in a body that has died. The curse of sin passed on from Adam dies in our dead body. So Paul argues, since you have died, since you have died and been buried with Christ in his death, you are no longer a slave to sin. Adam's curse died with you. The old you is dead. With your, with your death, the person born in the likeness of Adam has died. You are not that person any longer. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul said it this way, verse 16, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we, were, we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
Paul is saying that the the power of sin over us is broken. Broken as we are united with Christ in his death. Broken as we are now new creations in the likeness of Jesus. Now, one thing I I need to clarify before we ask what this means for us, and, and, and that is this, we still live in these broken bodies, we still live in this broken world, um, our mortality has not taken on immortality just yet. We are net, not yet what we will be when Christ returns and, and we are fully redeemed and restored when Christ returns and fixes us fully and finally and, and all of creation with us. We are not yet what we will be. So our sin, what that means is our sin most likely does not just disappear. In Ephesians 4, Paul describes the idea this way, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds." And put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So before Christ, we did not know the image we were meant for. That's the ignorance that that Paul is talking about here. We, We didn't know what sin was necessarily. We didn't know the image that we were created to live in. We didn't know the place of true joy and satisfaction. We didn't understand what God had created us to be like. And we were set in the ways of the world. Whatever the world said was good, we agreed with. And we still struggle with that. Whatever the world said was good, we agreed with. Wherever the world said we would find happiness and peace and love, that's where we looked for happiness, peace, and love. That's where we pursued it. If the world said it was in riches, we wanted riches. If the world said it was in in a husband, we wanted a husband. A wife, we wanted a wife. Children, we wanted children. Whatever it was, that was the thing that we pursued. But now in Christ, we have heard the truth and we have been taught the truth in Jesus. We are not yet what we will be, but neither are we what we were. What we were was dead and blind and ignorant, and what we are lives and sees and hears. And so, by the Word of God and by the conviction of the Holy Spirit as new creations moving more and more toward the image of Jesus, we can take off the old man who is dead and we can put on the new man recreated in the image of Jesus. 
In fact, that's what Paul is telling us to do. Because you are a new creation, because you know the truth of Jesus, take off the old man and set that to the side and put on the new man recreated in the image and likeness of Jesus in righteousness and holiness. What I'm saying is that we, we now know what sin is and we know what righteousness is and we can take action to live the life that we were created to live. It doesn't just go away. We are active participants by God's grace and the power of His Spirit in our sanctification and our life being shaped more and more into the image of Jesus. So what does, what does this mean? What does, it, what does it mean for us? One thing it means is that you are not powerless over your sin. You are not powerless over your sins. You don't have to live in your sins. You don't have to be defeated by your sins. Verse 22 again says to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. Put that off. It is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. I need you to, I need you to be with me for a second. How do, you, how do you take off the old and put on the new? It's by renewing your mind. Hear me. I'm going to say it one more time. How do, we, how do we take off the old and put on the new? It is by what? Renewing the mind. It is not by working harder, doing better, being the better. It is not by picking yourself up off the ground and dusting off your own back. It's not by pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It is by what? Renewing of your mind. Renewing. Man, it is by renewing. That's how we defeat the sins. That's how we defeat the old man. It is by renewing your mind. It is by remembering the truth that this, this sin that you're dealing with, this sin that you're battling, this is not what you were created for. How do we fight that sin? We remember this sin is not what we were created for. This is not the place of true and lasting joy or peace or happiness. We remember and we believe again and again and again, that old man is dead and I don't have to do this. I am a new creation. I believe the good news of the gospel. I believe that the old man is dead and behold, I am new. I remind myself of the good news of the, the death of Jesus, that, that the old man who was enslaved is, is set free by my death with him. And today I'm raised to a newness of life. Now that doesn't mean that all of our sins, even, even when we preach the gospel to ourselves, will be easy to overcome. Some will not, and we need to understand that. Some will be difficult to, to, to overcome. Porn is one of them. Listen to me. Porn is a sin. All right? The world tells you nobody, nobody's heard. It doesn't matter. It's just me. It's not a sin. Porn is a sin. Porn is a sin. It, it becomes an addiction. Porn does all sorts of things to us. It, it, it affects us on, on many, many levels, and that's why it is so difficult. 
mentally, physically, physiologically, psychologically, spiritually. It, it affects us in all of those areas, and that's what makes it so difficult to defeat. But listen to me, it is not invincible. How do we defeat such a difficult foe? Uh, accountability partners are good. Listen, that's, a, that's usually the first thing uh, a guy or a wife, when, when this sin comes to light, is like you need an accountability partner. An accountability partner is, is okay. I mean, you can lie to an accountability partner all day long. You need some electronic security to keep you from going to places like that. Monitoring is good. Most people can find 15 ways around it. Those things are good, and they can be helpful. But, but, but the answer, listen to me, the answer Paul gives us is where? By the what? Renewing of the mind. The renewing of the mind. It, it, it is by remembering the things that we just said. We, we defeat this sin even in its difficulty by remembering the truth that this is not what I was created for. Porn is not what I was created for. This is not what I was created for. This is not the place, and you know this is true, but in the moment, in the moment we don't believe it. This is not the true place for happiness and lasting joy and peace. We remember again and again and again, and we believe again and again and again. The old self is dead. That man, that woman died with Christ and was buried with him, and now we are new creations. And so we remind ourselves of this, this good news again and again and again of the life and the death of Jesus. The old man who was enslaved or, 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 or woman who was enslaved to, to pornography is dead. And you are made new. Renew your mind with the meaning and truth of the gospel. And, and the accountability that you need is not someone will say, all right, have you looked at porn in the last week? What you need is someone who will point you to Jesus and the truth of the gospel again and again and again until you believe this good news. Take off the old. Put on the new by renewing your mind. One more, one more answer to this goodness. What does it mean? What does this mean for us? Hear me, it means your past is dead. Your past died with the old man, and it is no more. I told somebody just this morning, I have not always been a pastor. A lot of times... A lot of times we, we, we only know the person that we see before us. I have not always been a pastor. And, and my friends from high school and, and college especially, um, they have stories that would fill a library of things that would disqualify me from being where I am today. It was a lot. But listen to me. That guy is dead. <laughs> Do you hear me? That guy is dead. 
he, he, is, he, is, he is dead. And so I no longer carry that guilt. Come on. The guilt of your past, it died and was buried. It was not raised to a newness of life. It's gone. The guilt of your past is gone. The, the guilt of my past is absolutely gone. It died with the old me. There is no guilt. I no longer carry the heavy weight of the condemnation that I deserved because of my life. Gone. Buried. Done with. Y'all, this is incredible, incredible news. The old Keith is dead. And all of that died with him. And this is true for you. This is true for you. It is true for every believer. It is true for every sin. Hear me. Every sin committed against you, those things don't define you anymore. That person is dead. And you have been raised in the image of Jesus, a new person. Those sins that were committed against you don't define you, and the sins that you committed, they don't define you either. What defines you is Jesus Christ and His righteousness. The old has passed away. Therefore, Paul says, if you, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold! Behold, that is what Paul is shouting, that word, behold. Behold, the new has come. Dead gum, that's good news. These are the gracious gifts of the death of Jesus. These are the gracious gifts of the death of Jesus. He died the death that we deserve, taking the wrath of God on himself so that we would not have to. He is our propitiation. The penalty of sin was removed from us through faith in him. God is not angry with us. This, this is our peace. Peace with the Father, not just one day down the road when we die or Jesus comes back, but, but peace today and peace every day. Peace from wondering, peace from striving. Your Father is not angry with you. Enjoy Him. Your Father is not angry with you. Don't run from Him, run, run to Him. Enjoy Him. Enjoy Him even when you fail, even when you fall. His death is also our victory over sin because our faith unites us with him. Then in a very real sense, because of that, his death is our death and the old is gone in Christ and we are made new creatures. We, we are no longer in the image of Adam, but, but now by God's grace we are growing in the image of Jesus, the man we were meant to be because Jesus died and we died with him. Our death means that sin no longer has power over us. And, and, and the sins that we have, have been defeated by for so many years, those sins no longer rule us. And hear me, neither do they define us. Often at the end of a sermon, um, there is a list of things to do. Okay, what do we do then in light of this? What do, we, what do we do? And a lot of churches, a lot of pastors, I've been guilty of it, will give you a long list of things to do. Okay, then, you need to do this and you need to do that. You know what you need to do this morning? 
Just believe the gospel. That's all you need to do. Believe this gospel. Live in this truth. Live in the power of this gospel and see it change everything in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful news. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for these truths. God, you are so good to us. I pray that, um, Lord, you would sink these truths deep into our heart and we would remember them. That we would remember them and believe them and that you would shape us more and more into the image of Jesus. Help us to truly believe the good news of the death of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.